Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Two years ago, a pair of public interest law firms filed suit against the state of Missouri, its governor, and the Missouri State Public Defender's Office. The lawsuit charged that the state had failed in its obligation under the Constitution to provide indigent defendants with, quote, meaningful representation. Because the Public Defender's Office was overworked and underfunded, the ACLU and MacArthur Justice Center argued, poor people charged with a crime were being denied their constitutional rights. The case has seen a number of twists and turns and a great deal of drama in the last two weeks. Joining me today to talk about how we got to this point and where things are today is Amy Bryan, director of the MacArthur Justice Center. We're also joined by Nicholas Phillips, a reporter at Missouri Lawyers Weekly, who has covered these developments. Nick and Amy, welcome to the program. Thanks, Thanks for, having for having me. Amy, along with the ACLU, your organization first filed this lawsuit in March of 2017. Can you tell us what you were alleging? Yeah, of course. Uh, so we filed this suit to address the systemic and long-standing problems with the indigent defense in, in the state of Missouri, as you indicated in your opening. And uh, the reason we did so is because this is a problem that has been uh, going on in Missouri for decades now, and the state has refused to address and remedy it. Um, we are 49th out of 50 states in per capita indigent defense spending. And according to the American Bar Association, the uh, the public defenders are devoting less than the minimum hours recommended on more than 97% of their cases. Um, so it just had been uh, bad for decades that the state and the Public Defender Commission have failed to provide the resources required to adequately represent poor people across the state of Missouri. Um, and, and so we filed a lawsuit to try to change that. And Nick, this issue had been in the news. It was about two years before that it actually made national headlines how bad things were in Missouri. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the gamesmanship that was going on there that, that got t attention? Yeah, sure. Um, so M Michael Barrett is the, um, the director of the Missouri Public Defender System. He, um, it's probably fair to say he has a pugnacious, unorthodox <laughs> approach to this, um, to this directorship. And um, when he got in there, Around that time, the legislature, ha knowing some of the problems that we're talking about, they approved, I think two years in a row, they approved uh, a bump in funding for the Missouri Public Defender System. Uh, Governor Nixon, both times and in different ways, uh, declined to move that money toward them. Uh, I, think it was, I think he was citing like fiscal restraint. And so Michael Barrett not only sued... Um, uh, the governor for for doing for withholding some of those funds, he also then uh, invoked a rather obscure statute that allows him to appoint a, like a, a private member of the bar uh, to represent you know an indigent criminal defendant, and so he decided to appoint Governor Jay Nixon, <laughs> which is an awesome move at least as far as excitement goes. Right, and I, and I don't think that he actually thought that that, that would go anywhere, right. but that's what he did. Got a lot of attention. Right. I think a lot of us thought after that, oh, you know, the headlines were there. Now this issue's kind of been solved. But Amy, you you were saying in your lawsuit, not solved at all. This problem continued to get worse or to just sort of fester. That's right. It, it, it's continued to get worse. Um, and so uh, the public defenders are still not providing constitutionally adequate representation to folks. And uh, what's worse is now that there there's a waitlist system in a number of counties. What that means is that if somebody is charged with a crime and they can't afford to hire their own attorney, they're put on a wait list and their case continues to proceed through the court system, but they don't have an attorney. So they might be called to court and have to appear for arraignment or some other uh, some other hearing, some other event with the court, but they don't have the, 
the assistance of counsel by their side. They have no one to consult with, even though they're making these court appearances. That's correct. They just have to wait some undetermined amount of time until someone frees up and is able to provide them with representation from the public defender's office. You have some um, named plaintiffs that you're representing in this lawsuit. Can you give us an example of how the terrible funding for this issue had affected one person in particular? Sure. Well, uh, Miss Bowman is one of the named plaintiffs in the case, and, and she is still incarcerated or detained pre-trial. So she was arrested in January of 2015. Here we are in August of 2019, and she still has not had trial. The public defender who represents her has filed no fewer than four motions to continue trial, and, and recently as in the last few months, specifically citing his workload and inability to investigate the case um, and you know prepare for trial in the case. Again, in the meantime, the case just sits there and lingers and evidence is lost, memories fade, and Miss Bowman's life is, you know, totally turned on its head as she sits pre-trial in jail. So Nick, this lawsuit has been filed trying to remedy this problem for, for people like Amy's clients, and they file suit against the governor's office and against the state of Missouri. And that's where things kind of get a little bit interesting. Tell me what how the state responded to the lawsuit against them. How did they... Right. The, the state responded uh, in, in ways a lot of defendants respond in civil cases. They filed a motion to dismiss. And I think their argument was was that the state should be uh, enjoyed sovereign immunity, which in this particular case, I think they were arguing that Judge Lowry, who, Judge Nanette Lowry, who was the federal judge in this case, she should not be able to issue injunctive relief um, in this and tell the state what to do in this particular case. Mm-hmm. Um, Judge Lowry, um, she denied their motion. She said the state had to stay on the, the case. She said the state had to stay on the case. And so they appealed to the, up to the Eighth Circuit, which is like the legal equivalent of, you know, let me talk to your manager. <laughs> <laughs> so they went up to the Eighth Circuit, and then it was, it was pending for a while. Yeah. And so the Eighth Circuit ended up saying, yeah, the governor doesn't need to be on this case. The state of Missouri doesn't need to be on this case. But then things took a really funny turn. Right. <laughs> funny right. if you're interested in legal developments. <laughs> so what happened was, in the meantime, several things happened. But what I'll say is the attorney general, um, Josh Howley, ran for Senate. And as we all know, he won. Mm-hmm. So he left. Then Eric Schmidt, who had been the treasurer, he becomes the attorney general of the state of Missouri. And I think like in his second week, the Eighth Circuit comes down and says, okay, you get what you want. The state and the governor are dismissed from this case. What that did is that left uh, Amy's group and the ACLU and their plaintiffs on one side of the table. And on the other side of the table was the Missouri public defender system. And the state had previously argued, you know, they seem to want the same thing. Maybe they shouldn't be on the same side of the table. But that's, but that's essentially what happened. Um, so by the state getting off this case, we were left with just basically two main groups on the case. And that's the people who are seeking more funding for the public defender's office and the public defender's office. It seems like this worked out not badly for people who care about good public defenders. Right, right. And yeah, go ahead. So do you think that was a strategic error on the part of the attorney general's office to, to get the state dismissed from this case? We're now left with these two parties that on some level may have the same big picture goal. Well, I th- when I first saw this case, I th- when I, you know, it looks on the face like the state tried for two years to get out of this case, and then they got what they wanted, and now they're turning around trying to get back in. Yeah. Um, 
Tell us a little bit about the efforts that the state is making to get back in. Right. Because that okay. has all happened in the last month here. Yeah, I might have jumped ahead. I might have got it in front of my skis a little bit there. Um, what happened was the – so the A Circuit decides that, you know, it dismisses the governor, dismisses um, the state. And so Judge Lowry orders the remaining parties that we just discussed to go into mediation. Before mediation, um, the Missouri Public Defender's system contacts the attorney general and they say, and they say um, hey, we'd like to get coverage from the legal expense fund. The legal expense fund is like a pot of money uh, that Missouri has so that if it gets sued and has to pay money, it comes out of that pot. So, so we like coverage. They need a lawyer. Right. <laughs> well, coverage. Yeah. Because they had their own lawyer because they're a separate entity mm-hmm. from the state. So, I mean, they're state related, but they're separate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, the, the attorney general said, well, you can only get coverage if we are assisting you. So why don't you tell us what you're planning to do in this mediation? And the public defender says, well, that's not really appropriate because don't you remember last year you said that we weren't, we'd had different interests. And so, uh, and the attorney general was like, this is very troubling. So the parties go into mediation and then there's like this lull and then boom, they come out with this proposed judgment. And this proposed judgment is a fairly dramatic um, revisioning of how the public defender system should work. Um, And so then the next day, the attorney general says, we need to get back in this case. We're going to try to intervene. Um, to answer your earlier question, it, they're trying to do something now that's different than they were trying to do in the beginning. In the sure. beginning, they were saying, um, we should be immune from this lawsuit. Now they're trying to get back in and say <laughs> and, and basically oppose this, this settlement consent judgment. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to be very clear. The state has never disagreed there's a problem here. Sure. You know, they've never said that everything is hunky-dory in the state of indigent defense in Missouri. Um, they just don't want to see a remedy. That seems pretty clear. <laughs> You're saying they don't like the solution you've come up with. Is sure, and, and, I, and I do want to push back a little bit on, on Nick's uh, characterization as a, a dramatic re-envisioning of how the public defender system is, is supposed to work. Um, you know, one of the things that consent judgment does is, is just requires the public defender to very simply provide constitutionally adequate representation. And it talks about, you know, uh, caseload uh, metrics that they have to meet. And those are, um, you know, come out of this ABA study that was conducted uh, a couple years ago that, again, has not been challenged by the state. Um, So really, you know, it it has been, you said funny, and I know you don't mean that in like a, a, you know, uh, literal sense, um, but uh, troubling that what the state is doing here, this maneuvering, is that for years, for decades, in fact, they did not propose a solution to this problem. And now that some parties have, they want to prevent anyone from solving that problem. It makes no sense. It's not good for the state of Missouri. I'm talking with Amy Bryan of the MacArthur Justice Center and Nicholas Phillips of Missouri Lawyers Weekly. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Now back to our conversation with Amy Bryan, director of the MacArthur Justice Center, and Nicholas Phillips of Missouri Lawyers Weekly. Are you a public defender, or have you or your family been represented by one? Tell us about it. You can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air, or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Amy, tell us a little bit about the settlement that you reached with the public defender's office. What did they agree to do differently or say that the state would do differently going forward? 
And, and first, just to clarify, this is a proposed consent judgment, so it still has to be reviewed and approved by the judge, and uh, I want to make sure the audience is aware of that. Definitely. Um, one of the, the big things that it does is it eliminates these wait lists. Um, as of May of this year, there were over 4,300 indigent criminal defendants on wait lists, um, and it, it gets rid of that practice. Um, it also holds the public defenders to caseload standards that were set forth by that study I mentioned earlier. Um, and it provides that if that standard is reached, in other words, if a public defender is at maximum capacity, that the district defender, their boss, shall notify the circuit court. And then the court has a few options as to what to do. One of those is appoint private counsel. Um, another is to engage with the prosecutor about possibly eliminating the threat of, of incarceration as a punishment um, to dismiss the case or, or take really any other actions that are consistent with the, the constitutions of the United States and the state of Missouri. Um, and it also gives some wiggle room. It says, we understand that there might be public defenders who have more experience and can perhaps deviate above these standards, and it allows for that to happen. It also allows for, for uh, deviation below those standards, including, for example, if someone has managerial responsibility that takes up a portion of their time. Okay. And now, so this is a proposed settlement, and now the Attorney General is seeking to halt this from going forward. We invited both the Public Defender's Office and the Office of Attorney General Eric Schmidt to be on the show. The Attorney General's Office gave us a statement. Here's what they had to say. Missourians, particularly indigent citizens, deserve the very best from our justice system. Under this proposed deal, which was negotiated in secret by two aligned parties, citizens who rely on the state for representation could be harmed, and public safety could be threatened. Courts may be required to dismiss criminal cases entirely, and incarceration may be taken off the table in certain cases. Missourians deserve to voice their opinion in this matter, and it's my job to ensure they have that opportunity. Nick, help us understand their argument about this agreement being negotiated by two aligned parties. They've tried this agree this argument before in court. What are they saying by that? Well, I, th I th when Josh Hawley was still Attorney General, his office looked at looked at this. They had so remember they had already appealed up to the Eighth Circuit, and they were and uh, the parties were, I think, either going into discovery or, I think they were in discovery, and he looked around and he said, you know, the Missouri Public Defender System is not acting like a normal defendant in this case. They're not, they're not submitting any notices of depositions. They're not opposing anything that the plaintiffs want to do. And so we think that they should be realigned. So they filed a motion to realign uh, the Missouri Public Defender System and put them on the same side of the table as the plaintiffs. Um, the judge didn't go for that. The judge didn't go for that. Um, but they've carried that same argument um, through. Now, and Amy, Amy might want to speak more to the defense of that. Sure. I can, but <laughs> you can go ahead. And Amy, and I also want you to speak to this idea that you negotiated in secret. I, is there something nefarious going on here? No. I, I mean, I think that suggestion is, is frankly ridiculous. Um, uh, you know, as Nick pointed out, we were ordered to mediation. That's very common. In fact, most cases in federal court are required to participate in alternative dispute resolution. Um, and so we did that pursuant to a court order. Mediation is confidential. So the fact that, you know, we didn't publicize what those discussions were is, is not unusual or strange in, in any reason. And, you know, the fact that we came to some agreement also does not suggest that we are in cahoots or improperly colluding with the public defender system. M very rarely do cases actually go to trial. Many times they're resolved through a settlement agreement or a consent judgment. You know, the DOJ has a consent judgment with the city of Ferguson. I don't think anyone would suggest that they are, you know, totally aligned. Um, it's true that the public defender and the plaintiffs agree there's a workload problem. That is true. But that does not mean that we're not adverse parties. And the uh, the proposed the 
the waitlist issue, I think, is a perfect example of where our interests diverge. Because waitlists, they do benefit public defenders. Because if you know you have folks on a waitlist, then you, you as a public defender are not risking disciplinary action or disbarment for failing to comply with your ethical obligations to provide competent You can kind of stall on the case till you have time to, right, to right. take it on. But it certainly doesn't benefit our clients or other indigent criminal defendants. Mm-hmm. The judge seems to be saying that the AG screwed up. Here's a quote from the judge's most recent um, ruling here. If the attorney general wanted the state to have an active role in opposing the settlement, he should not have sought immediate dismissal of the state as a defendant. She pointed to a a number of other occasions where he could have intervened as well. Do we think this could possibly be blamed by turnover at the office? It seems like the current attorney general got this case after some of the key moves had been made by his predecessor, Josh Hawley. Yeah, like I said, I, I I think Eric Schmidt was sworn in maybe the second or the third of January, and the Eighth Circuit decided, uh, in this case, in, on the tenth. So this is like in his second week, or in the ninth, maybe. This is like the second week of his of his tenure. Um, but his office, I mean, clearly, if you look at the email trail that I mentioned about, like the legal expense fund, mm-hmm. um, I think they knew what was going on, but they, for whatever reason, they didn't act to intervene until after the proposed uh, consent judgment. Um, so, so, so Judge Lowry basically said. There's an issue of timeliness here. You you, you should have done this earlier, mm-hmm. um, but also she said that the that, that that you know technically the consent judgment doesn't require the AGO to do anything, and the so occur- the attorney general's office doesn't have to be a party to this. The judge is saying right, and so they so the judge said, well, you know, you could. If you if you like, you can you can uh, file an amicus brief and tell our listeners what that is. Friend of the court. <laughs> uh, it is essentially it's a, essentially a weighing in, but I, I think without the rights and responsibilities of a party, is that right? Yeah, so it gives them an opportunity to to give their opinion on the enforceability and appropriateness of the proposed consent judgment. Sort of advocate on behalf of the people they represent. Uh, yeah, that's the idea. That's what they would say, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, after the judge said, no, you can't get back on this case, they now say they now say they're going back to the appellate court for the second time. I've got to say, in my years of covering court cases, this seems pretty unusual to me to go back up with a very similar question. Is there any sense of how the appellate court might look at, at this at this point and, and how long it might take them to weigh in? Well, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, the, the thing you have to... One, one thing that I think is um, potentially problematic about the proposed uh, settlement is that when they filed this case, there were, I think, what, five, maybe five plaintiffs. One of them is no longer a part of the case, and then the other four, I think, have, well, at least three have pleaded guilty. I think Viola, Viola Bowman might be the only one that's outstanding. And so it's, at some point, Judge Lowry denied class certification. So she said, you know, okay, you plaintiffs, you can't represent the whole class. Every single person who's uh, every poor person who, who needs a de- public defender services. Mm-hmm. What the I think what the state is now saying is you're trying to you're trying to get a class wide settlement through the back door mm-hmm. that will affect everybody in the system. Right, Amy. What would you say to that? What would be <laughs> your <laughs> well my my answer to that and my response to that is that this case has always been about systemic issues from day one. Um, And there is no question, again, no dispute that these issues are prevalent across the state of Missouri in urban areas, in rural areas, that systemically poor people are not getting the the defense to which they are constitutionally entitled. Um, So, you know, 
I, I, I don't think it's improper a workaround. I mean, this is always about s- systemic issues, and I think you know the alternative is potentially facing you know thousands and thousands of individual lawsuits when we could just you know work to solve the issue now. So we've got time, I think, for just one more question here, and that is, how does going back to the appeals court affect this case? You guys had a trial date set for this month. Amy, you can't be happy about this. No, no. It's incredibly frustrating for us and for our clients and other folks who just have to sit and, and wait, um, you know, for some solution to potentially come along. It's, you know, gamesmanship, and it's frustrating. The first appeal took about 14 months. I'd be guessing if I were saying how long this appeal will take and the impact it will have, but it is going to delay things, and it's going to, ne- you know, have a devastating impact on poor people who, in the meantime, remain without the the right of counsel. Amy Bryan and Nicholas Phillips, thank you for joining us today. And we have a quick reminder, in addition to listening to St. Louis on the Air on the radio or through our podcast, you can also connect with our production team on Facebook. Search for St. Louis on the Air there and request to join our Facebook group. We love to hear from listeners and draw on your ideas for the show, both in real time and leading up to and after our segments. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.